Hey friends, this is part two of a two-part conversation that Stacy and I are having as we reflect on our professional experience within the Christian college and university world and certainly my deep engagement with it from an intellectual side of things as, a, as an academic and an academic administrator. Thanks for being with us for part two. We're gonna be looking now more at the dangers to students um, and their well-being. And we've talked about some of these things in the past, but we're gonna be thinking about it primarily from an institutional structural perspective. And uh, hopefully this is going to be stimulating to you. We mean no ill will towards anybody. We love everybody. We actually hope that if you are a college or university administrator or professor or a staff member, that you will think very, long and hard about what we're saying, because we don't come to this uh, with some kind of glee or joy. We invested a lot of our lives in this stuff, and at some point, we saw too much suffering for us to think that it was ethical for us to continue within uh, that system. And by extracting ourselves, we started to realize all of the different ways in which we really do believe that Christian universities pose a danger to humanity, to American political life and to the environment. There are all sorts of ways in which this is true. You want to find out more? Stick with us. Let's go. Now, Stacey, you were saying, you know, you could expand a lot of this. We're talking about colleges and universities, but there's more. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, you think of how many church ran schools there are in general, and they have far less uh, oversight, say, from accreditation and that kind of stuff. So I think it, it starts even as young as, you know, when you might be taking your child to the local, you know, Christian preschool just because it's close by. Maybe it's offering, you know, a certain sort of childcare for you or something. um, Sometimes you'll get a discount if you start to attend the church. That's another thing, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And it's, it, sometimes there's a lot of people that even have their own religious beliefs that they've come to grow up with that are teaching in these and could be passing on sort of a way of thinking about the universe. So the idea that maybe God is like the Santa Claus in the sky and is looking down at you and knows when you're naughty and nice, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that you use God watching you as motivation to get the students to get in line, be quiet and clean up their desk or something, you know, there's all sorts of ways that this thinking just from, you know, the, the way that, um, a person uses their uses God (laughs) really, or any of their faith, right. To then uh, manipulate the students or people into behaving the way they want or whatever. It's, I think that um, there's less check on even those types of things. Even think Sunday school, that stuff gets just infiltrated because you're like, you're literally there running off the backs of these volunteers. Well, who's going to volunteer. Right. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes believers, Yes. And so they don't, you know, and they may not even have been raised in that certain church background. What you're saying there is, so there's two layers to this. 
there is orthodox evangelical thought, mm-hmm. which I have now very clearly come to in my own assessment. Okay, this is my assessment that it is traumatizing. Period. If you believe right. the strict theology of evangelical mainstream thought, the basic points. Uh, you could look at the National Association of Evangelicals, just their basic six points seem fine enough. Ultimately, I've come to the conclusion that if you put that into some kid's head, that is traumatizing by itself. But there's a deeper layer, and you've got kind of weird culty stuff that can come into the preschools because they don't have the sophistication always to be able to vet who that is. Right. And so they'll be teaching from a, if you're a Christian and you're listening, like they're, it's dangerous because you're going to get bad Christian theology. Right. I'm saying that Christian theology, as it's been expressed in the kind of mainstream sense that I'm talking about American evangelicalism, is dangerous. It's already It's harmful. more dangerous. It's even, yeah, even more harmful. But a lot of people go to these schools because they, like, it's a good option. They want people that care about their kids. Right. And it's like, wow, they'll, they'll be moral and they'll teach them some values and they're it caring. Also, it seems very harmless and it seems like it's a good alternative to other possibilities. But then I guess that, that trauma that, you know, with your, your mom has a story that like has traumatized her for her life. Yeah. She was in uh, Tenafly, uh, New Jersey. She was in a public school. There was a Jewish friend of hers that was sitting next to her and the teacher was Protestant and just kind of said as a point of fact that, you know, Protestants believe that Jewish people uh, if they don't believe in Jesus, they will go to hell for all eternity. And this little girl, Peter Pants, in school. So she had both the trauma of the theological statement being made and also the trauma of being embarrassed in front of her peers. And my mom just said no. She just said no. That's like no. Right. And um, I wish, when I was getting into evangelicalism, I wish that... I would have listened to that. She said, okay, you're getting into religion and that's fun. Like everybody does this, but just so you know, that that's like a, that's a dark thought. Like that's, that's something that's problematic. And, you know, over the years, my dad and I would get into Robert Capon, uh, the kind of Catholic universalism of, of uh, what he was talking about. Um, more recently, um, David Bentley Hall, the uh, universalist. Um, you know, these arguments, but ultimately like why I don't need to spend all of this time and the hand wringing. And I've been in that kind of world since 2003, 2005, but just all the mental anguish and energy I spent trying to deconstruct hell Mm -hmm. and the number of students that we would have conversations about this. All I had to do is just say no to it. Like my mom said, like, that's just a silly, that's a silly idea, you know? And if it's, and if it's true, if there's a God that's, that's going to do it this way, that's the devil. So we're going to oppose that God. That's the demiurge. We'll fight the demiurge, you know? (laughs) Uh, Back up for one second. Um, You said David Bentley Hall. David Bentley Hart, correct? (sighs) Yes, it's David Bentley Hart. Thank you very much. I was yeah. thinking of Daryl Hall. It was all, it's all kind of confusing. So in any case, um, last 
part, the, the, on the last episode, we talked about the anti-intellectualism. We talked about the wealthy donors who want to prop up capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that took us down you know, to the end. And, and we can kind of move through the, the other points that I had made earlier, um, maybe a little more quickly. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but one thing I wanted to mention is that in all of this, what we forget to realize is this consortium of Christian universities, the CCCU, again, they do quality stuff. They have really nice conferences to elevate people's academic work, to be able to bring more excellence to administration in these universities and to market themselves. But ultimately, they're also kind of like a, a lobby group. Mm-hmm. And I never really thought about this. So, for instance, um, right now there's a pending um, you know, federal lawsuit. It's Hunter versus the Department of Education. Basically, um, there are these 40 plaintiffs, uh, and 21 of them are in the CCCU. These are schools that want to um, kind of deal with this problem of Title IX religious exemptions. Basically, what's going on is that you have Title IX, which provides for a lot of things and, uh, you know, it's anti-discriminatory, anti-abusive behaviors and all this, but the, these schools want to say, don't take away our full standing in society because we do not hire LGBT faculty and staff, or we do not provide full inclusion for LGBT students, um, depending on how they want to define this. Uh, is it their behavior or their identity, whatever, um, the CCCU schools are working politically through, uh, or, or the CCCU is operating on behalf of these schools to file, you know, an, an amicus brief, for instance, with respect to this, because they realize, and I know that this is an issue for a lot of administrators, oh no, if states or the federal government take away funding from us because of the way we discriminate against LGBT students, then we're done. Right, it's gonna right. it's gonna destroy us. They need they yeah. need that money. So I understand. So they want to be is, able yeah. to operate and basically exclude a whole segment of the population. Right. They want to take the public's money, but they're not going to serve the whole public because they've got a special religious exemption. Right. Well, and I yeah. and I I know that <laughs> this is often done in many many on many levels. But I think anytime you're isolating against a certain segment of the population, that is dangerous. And if you get the exemption, if you are, if you, if you are able to get that precedent, it also can expand. It can change, right? Yeah. And 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 it's just flat out just based on somebody's identity. Yes. That they that. Well, and, and their, quote, perversion and their uh, wickedness. And, you know, it's like, they'll oh, say they, it's not your identity, it's the lifestyle. It. They, they nuance they, it by saying you I can have the... I saying yeah. the way that somebody wants to exist in this world is unacceptable to them. Yes. So they should be allowed yeah. to not... I don't. It right. doesn't go both they ways. They will never say it this way. What the CCCU schools broadly are trying to do because, and again, we said on the last episode... The individuals may not want this, but they realize that their bread is buttered because of this. It's like uh, if you, again, you need to tell people that they didn't descend from monkeys and that uh, that it's okay to discriminate against LGBT kids or people in general. Uh, that's what makes it because you disagree financially with their lifestyle. 
viable to have these universities. That's a thing. That's a weird thing. Here, interestingly, is how the CCCU says it on its website, cccu.org, when it's talking about the Hunter versus Department of Education uh, case. It has this interesting commentary. Look, look how nice it sounds. This is part of what I'm saying. Like, Christian universities seem nice. People, we had somebody, you know, provide feedback. They, they wrote a, a comment and said, you know, I've, I've sensed there's a lot of these, these kids that get a good education. Mm-hmm. I'm tutoring these people. They get a good education. Yeah. That's, again, that's part of the problem. It's like um, the Scientologists fund perhaps very successful Narcanon programs. I'm not sure that they're successful. We just know at least one former student that did go through a Narcanon program and she didn't get pushed into Scientology Mm -hmm. and she got, she recovered. That doesn't mean it's not weird that you have this very questionable group, the Scientologist running these things. So that's part of the game. You, it, you have to get the, you, these universities have to have very high quality in all the areas that they can have quality in order to get away with what they're trying to get away with. They've got high performing debate teams. Right. And they're also teaching that the earth is 7,000 years old. <laughs> right. I'm laughing but, because but that's, why, that's and, just not true. <laughs> but it's also important for them to fund the ability to have people that can intelligently debate an issue. That, yes, they that, need to sound very smart about this. Right, and, and and basically, you know, they're hoping that it comes with their agenda as well. Yes, right. so I'm sure that For somebody who came through all of this training, Stacey, wrote this paragraph. <laughs> CCCU institutions, this is from cccu.org, uh, CCCU institutions are committed to biblical convictions, including a historic biblical understanding of marriage as part of broader religious convictions around human sexuality and gender, and are committed to maintaining places where all students feel safe, supported, and welcome. All right. As a libertarian type person, and I say libertarian socialist, which is, I'm an anarchist, and that scares people because it takes me an extra paragraph to explain what anarchism is. But as somebody who doesn't want the state in charge of everything in our lives, um, I find that reasonable on the face of it, they have these quaint beliefs about marriage and they want everybody to be safe and supported. That's to me what a historically Catholic university in a big city is, is doing. But by, right? You've but, got this Catholic belief, but they're not hassling anybody. Or that's my understanding. But they're nurturing an environment that is unsafe for certain individuals. Yes. We're contending. That's what we're saying. We're contending that that's not true. Right. And that they aren't supportive. And that they're not supportive. Supported and safe. This is the, the, the thing that I'm saying is not there. Right. So if you're a parent of an LGBT kid, and maybe you're a parent that's very conservative and you say, I love my kid. I don't believe in that lifestyle. Let, you know, I, right. I affirm that they have this identity. I don't believe in the lifestyle. I think they should be celibate. I'm going to send them to a school that can help them process this and think through it because they say that they welcome and affirm all these kids uh, as kids, even if they don't affirm their sin. Okay. They're not necessarily safe. That's my anecdotal experience. Well, That's what I hear from people that right. have had their own anecdotal experiences. Yes. And how much um, their mental health is affected 
That's what I'm saying about the safety. Through all yeah. of these, you know, through all of these inter- encounters or experiences. Uh, the other thing too that I find, which I mean, I don't know, I don't know, you as listeners. the The thing is, is that there are so many kids that are in your own life right now that if you don't know. They're just not comfortable telling you right. what they, what's truly going on. This inside. affects many people in your life, whether you know it or not. Right. And I know that a lot of you don't know who these people are in your own lives. Because they've been in our offices. And yes. And they know <laughs> that certain people aren't safe. And so mm-hmm. when you, anyway, my point is, is that this is a, a bigger thing than what you think. And it's closer to home than you think. And it's closer to home than what you think. And, um, by, I found it so often that it seems that some people are like, oh, I'm, you know, well, I'm tolerant of people that want to live, you know, their life, make their decisions or whatever, fine, I'll allow them to exist. But then when it comes to their own children, they cannot support it. They cannot, so they're not actually tolerant of anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that happens so often. And your children know this, <laughs> um, but and I and I'm, I'm saying this as just as a, an appeal that the hurt, the pain, the um, the just suffering that so many kids are enduring, uh, and and then what the alternative often if they do say something is to then get completely rejected often by by their families yeah and and then they have to you know they either have to kind of come up with this idea of okay i will kind of suffer through this on my own and it severely affects obviously their mental health and when they have to you know do that or also figure out all of this and do this not only like completely alone away from all of my family support of any kind, mm. but also when the world is against them as well. And it's, it, and God's against and them and God's everything. Yes. Viceroy is against them. the amount of pain. I'm just appealing to you that this it's, it is, it kills me. <laughs> yeah. If I'm a Christian university professor and they say is, you know, am I acceptable does God hate me? You know, well, there's a lot of nuance the way you're supposed to say it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. God loves you. We're all sinners. There's all sorts of nice ways to say it. Okay. But basically and fundamentally, you're supposed to be able to answer according to your biblical faith. And what I'm saying is they're not doing anything that they're like, they're not being duplicitous necessarily. Right. They're, they're telling it like they, they think it is. And I'm just saying it's traumatizing and it's dangerous. And we're like letting this happen all the time yes. in America. And I don't know what it means to let it happen, but I'm saying it's happening. And so what all Stacy and I can do is kind of just bring this out into the open, have this conversation Awareness. and say, like, what do we do about this? We, I don't know necessarily. I've got some ideas, but, but this is a problem. This is a very big problem. And if you, you know, you go back, Casey said, right, on that episode that we'll link to on the show notes when we were interviewing him about his experience at Trinity Lutheran, that something that the, that the professor said led to his suicidal ideation. Right. 
So, you know, that's not cool. <laughs> no. Right? That's, we're, we're playing with fire now. Yeah. We can't be messing around. We can't just be like, oh, well, let's just be open. We have lives to, at stake. Yeah, these are, these are lives at stake. So my experience pretty much start to finish is that the, that the universities that say, oh, you can, we welcome you as long as everybody, no one's allowed to have sex. If you're heterosexual, you can't have sex. If you're queer, you can't have sex. Okay. So then they can get away with taking their money. Right. Yeah. Because everybody need they need everybody that they can get, you know, a lot of times. Let me go back to the, what, what it says in the CCCU. This is very interesting how they, they said it. I didn't, I didn't finish the, the, the line. It says the college experience can be stressful, especially for LGBTQ students who are working to understand how their sexual orientation or gender identity intersects with their personal faith. In a sense, that's kind of what I wanted at Trinity. Mm-hmm. I wanted people to not say, this is a place where we're going to convince you that it's okay. Like if you really are just trying to figure it out, this is a place for you to do that in a safe space. Mm-hmm. But um, so that's what they're saying that these Christian universities serve, they can serve these kids, but then it goes on. But we also know from national data that this issue is not unique to Christian colleges and that LGBTQ students experience challenges at colleges and universities nationwide. That, that kind of pissed me off because I'm like, that's true. And this is a thing that I kind of constantly keep hearing. Well, there's like sexual abuse in other places and yeah. Okay. But this is an ideological move that is protected. That's all. Yes. You could have a wing nut at a community college say the exact same thing, but they're not trying to lobby the government to allow them to keep doing it. Yeah. (laughs) You see like that, that is, that is so duplicitous. Like, yeah, they have problems at colleges and universities. Well, I mean, and, and the, I mean, it's, it, it is just a fact that as a, as a people group, they are worldwide. I mean, yeah, right. Basically persecuted. Yeah, this, and no, this is not news. Yeah. Anyway, that's, yeah. So as the rights and freedoms of religious institutions are being litigated, I love how this, this always goes that route. The rights and freedoms of religious institutions, we reify, we personify these, these, uh, institutions. The rights and uh, they have right. They have rights. Okay, fine. I, I guess, but they're putting that language in to contrast it with the, the limited nature of the rights and freedoms of the queer kids. Yes. Okay. So um, they're being litigated. The CCCU should have a seat at the table to ensure we have a voice to preserve and protect Christian higher education. And here it is. They see what's going on. They are going to preserve and protect Christian higher, educa- higher education. And one of the key themes here is the freedom of Christian higher education to discriminate against LGBT kids. Okay? That's, to me, what's, what's going on. Yes. And I know that a lot of people that are listening, uh, that if, you've been, if you're just listening in for, like, kind of, I don't know, some kind of sadistic uh, or a masochistic <laughs> pleasure um, to see what your former friends in the, uh, in the church-related higher education world are thinking... Um, and you're saying, yeah, that's good. I want to protect my right to discriminate against these kids. All right. So LGBT students, dangerous for them. It's dangerous for women and people who identify as women. In It's dangerous for women, generally, also at these schools. So 
to recap so far where we've been, number one, anti-intellectualism is a problem at these schools. Number two, wealthy donors uh, who want to prop up capitalism. That's part of the problem. Three, we've now just mentioned danger to LGBT students. And now point four, rape culture, the problem of assault on these campuses and no teaching about consent. We're not going to spend as much time on this because we did a whole episode about this when we discussed Emily Joy's book, Church Two, mm-hmm. and um, we interviewed her, didn't we? Yes, we have. And um, we discussed that book, and then we also have an interview with Emily Joy. So check that out. You can kind of hear the full explanation of how that works. Here's something, though, that, I, that I'm going to come back to at some point. I have been online. I've noticed that there is research, research conducted by a Christian person, as far as I can tell, that had, you know, beliefs that were evangelical and more conservative related to the evangelical universities in general. And they found, then this is something I want to see if you have any thoughts on uh, as far as why this might be. They actually found that there were fewer instances of sexual assault on Christian university campuses than on university campuses broadly. <laughs> and he might be right. But what do you think? What I mean, is it actually fewer or is it just fewer reported? That's- Step one is the reporting. There is always a problem of reporting, no doubt. So why? what, what, what would make you think maybe there's a problem of the reporting? Well, the women wanting to come forward or anybody that has been sexually assaulted that want that to come forward, they're already considered guilty for breaking other policies of the school or somehow, um, you know, feel the guilt, if you will, of being in the situation in the first place. And they feel like that somehow they set themselves up to be in a position that caused this harm and they're either embarrassed by it or just simply can't have their family find out about this, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so many levels, right? So it's just best to be silent and not even bring it up because otherwise you have to deal with not only the harm that was caused to you, but also uh, the harm that it will do to your reputation amongst family, amongst in the university setting, whatever, you know, all of it. Usually, too, I mean, it would exclude you from leadership positions and all sorts of things, too, right? Yeah. So there's like a whole, you know, it'll, it'll impact your resume, it impacts your family life, it impacts uh, how everybody looks at you at the school. I mean, there's so many reasons not to that, you know, like, <laughs> that it just, that becomes like, just avoid all of that altogether. Mm-hmm. Don't say anything and then you know perhaps just stay away from people I don't know you know I don't know anyway um so yeah I think that the only thing that ever sometimes um can help with that is when people start to see that okay if there is a pattern or something that they can't let other people keep getting hurt because usually it's a lot of self-sacrifice if it's just about you um often I think it's what motivates you maybe to go through all of that is to, when you want to stop um, like a, this behavior, if it becomes like a serial issue mm-hmm. with multiple people. I, um, so I agree with this. 
I found the article. It's by James Vanderwerd and Albert Chang, and it is Sexual Violence on Religious Campuses. Let me read the abstract. Religious colleges and universities make up a substantial segment of the higher education landscape in North America, as we've said. But the incidence of sexual violence on these campuses remains understudied. I think there needs to be more studies because this is important. Um, But this study estimates the incidence of sexual violence on independent Christian campuses using a sample of part-time and full-time undergraduate students, 668 surveyed, from eight private Christian colleges in Ontario, Canada. Here's the problem. Canada, first of all, is a different it's a different thing. Their experience is going to be slightly different even though they have some of the same genealogies of church and school life. Mm-hmm. But I'll I'll keep it. I'll keep it. We're working with that, but it would be interesting to see, you know, what other studies might have been done in the United States. Um, Using two widely used measures of sexual uh, violence enabled comparisons with studies of self-reported incidents at secular and public colleges and universities. This is important, too. It is self-reporting. So before I get into what they found, I would say that if you don't teach people about consent, then they don't know that there's been a violation. That's true. And And this is not necessarily something that you're free from outside, but there are active, funded, and intentional agendas on other campuses to help teach about consent and what to do when that consent is not honored. Right. This is not something that gets taught, or at least historically has not been taught in these evangelical schools. Right. Another key piece, too, is that often when, if there is somebody, especially if they are predatory, um, if they can get you to be involved in some other sort of behavior that is also... um, like alcohol or something, which is supposed to, which is against the policy, right? Yes. This was the big thing we talked about with Emily Joy. We've done a lot of that. So it's the idea that when there's multiple violations and that you can get in trouble perhaps for drinking or something like that or underage drinking or some kind of concern, you know, then it's like, okay, well, I don't want to get myself in trouble. You're, you know, as well as getting, you know, this other person in trouble because all will be revealed kind of thing. But if you're a predator, you're going to prey on those situations to take advantage of those people. Right. Because then they know how this works. They know the thinking and the manipulation that can. Yeah. And that's the thing that at least we saw from the inside Mm -hmm. for many years at different institutions Mm -hmm. in different ways. Because I said, I've been at various places where we wouldn't have put up to my knowledge. We wouldn't have put up with this uh, at Trinity but I had more of an active engagement with that. Mm-hmm. I do know that um, one of the things, and I will, I will call them out just because it was such an important turning point in our lives about the politics of it. I remember very specifically the first time I, I ran into this was at Colorado Christian University where one of the staff members alleg- allegedly said to one of the young women who had been assaulted, that's what you get when you're drinking right. and you're violating school policies. She said, that's what you get. Right. I found that in the Christian university setting, people just didn't have the intellectual landscape or the, the toolbox, if I want to shift the metaphor, to be able to understand what I was saying. Gotcha. Right? Like I would say, okay, this is a problem. And then even like really good people would always be saying, yeah, but that's like naughty. <laughs> they shouldn't have been in that situation. 
or whatever, you know? And I'd say, oh, like you're one of the good guys and you don't see the, you don't see the problem here. I think too, that it's a safety mechanism for people to think that they can control their own environment by um, what situations they put themselves into or not because they are they fear it happening to their own children right or maybe they themselves have been you know somehow been in certain situations and so th- when when your world when something can be done to you that everybody knows is that horrific mm-hmm. then you're looking for all sorts of different ways to try to say how could I have avoided this how could this situation be avoided but it reduces into blaming the victim as we Right. You know. Now, if you grew up in the situation, like I was surprised to find that people did not have the 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 worldview to be able to confront the sexual assault. Right. But if administrators didn't have that worldview, then why would a 19-year-old girl right. understand that what happened to her was inappropriate? Right. Even if she intuitively felt it, right? So there's going to be less reports. But there's another thing. Well, let me give you the numbers. 18% of women at religious colleges reported experiencing unwanted sexual contact compared to studies of self-reported rates in the secular campuses that range from 21 to 31%, okay, much higher. And their suggestion here is exploratory investigation of factors related to victimization suggests that religious colleges may provide a, quote, moral community, end quote, that could reduce the risk of sexual violence. Now, we've got to be very, very sensitive about this, and I would love to kind of go over this with some of my social scientific friends and and kind of break it down and kind of figure this out, but I'm going to just try to talk out (laughs) what other things might be at play if, in fact, the, the rate's lower, okay? Maybe the rate's lower. The big problem with talking about it is that, as you've mentioned, very often on the Christian campuses, they say, you were drinking. Mm-hmm. And that's part of rape culture. Right. You are res- the victim is responsible because they were out drinking. Because at the same time, when you get a bunch of frat kids together mm-hmm. and you get really, really drunk and you're not on a dry campus, I imagine that that would increase your risk. Mm-hmm. I enjoy a drink. I tried. I tried to get con- uh, Colorado Christian to be uh, a wet campus, at least in some of the dorms. And I'm not like a teetotaler or that sort of thing. But when you have heavy drinking mm-hmm. and partying, this is definitely a place where there's just more opportunity because you don't have like you know the the kind of Christian Bible study time. Weird, creepy things can happen right. at Christian Bible study time, but it's not like a, you know, no, well people aren't standing on their heads at this point. Yes. You know, and you mentioned the frat type situation. Um, it's that gang mentality, too, that if multiple people, like if this is how, yeah. how people behave. People or getting rowdy. This, yeah. Or if this becomes acceptable. Am I going to re- retreat from this one? No. I'm going to leave it to, you know, Church 2 and Emily Joy to kind of, tease out that I want to come back to this at some point as soon as I can kind of get a better sense of the of the data on it mm-hmm. but I will re I will retract the idea that it might be uh, more prevalent I think the problem is I found so many cases of uh, situations that just seemed so hopeless 
in the evangelical milieu. I can tell you this, having moved outside of that world and just in experiencing other contexts, educational and otherwise, I am surprised to find how less creepy, you could only know this if you started in the one place and you moved to another place. I actually do find that the world is safer outside of the Christian world. There's just something very kind of creepy and manipulative and, and in my experience, uncomfortable that I didn't realize until I got out of it. Mm. There's just, like for instance, when I talk to Christian faculty and colleagues about freedom uh, and let's say um, freedom to express your sexuality, questions about monogamy, uh, being sex positive and all this, what I find really interesting is my, my non-religious friends that are sex positive, they seem very safe. They seem non-threatening to me, to mm -hmm. me, mm -hmm. my friends that are not religious, that are engaged in non-monogamy. I've found them to be generally speaking less creepy and I'm more comfortable being around them. When I have been around a lot of very conservative religious people, they'd say, if I were free to express my sexuality in any way, I can't even mention it to you because it's so dark. Mm. Like they are admitting to me and they've admitted to you mm -hmm. that if it weren't for the institution of marriage and God's judgment, that they would be disgusting human beings. It is interesting that um, I think I think the t the taboo on so much of sexuality in general yes. then creates this kind of this weird. Uh, troubled relationship with it, if you will. Yes. We've talked about that problem where some evangelicals think that all sins are the same. So if all sins are the same, then you can, uh, you can say, yeah, this is bad, but you know, well, we're all forgiven and kids do bad things. But I'm, but I'm, yeah. And I'm also saying though, like, okay, the fact that you might get turned on by somebody or something and they yes. think that that it also is oh, that's a sin. sinful. It's sinful so, to be turned on by them. So all of it. And yeah. so because there's so much taboo against sexuality, then the relationship with sexuality is a very unhealthy one where you feel like you, you aren't really allowed to even make any choices. It's already been told for you <clears throat> somehow. So, it puts that weird way of thinking about all of it in there, right? Mm -hmm. If you, if you felt like, oh yeah, like I have, I, however I want to express my sexuality, I can express that, and you have that freedom. Then you have to decide what kind of person am I, mm -hmm. and what does that look like mm -hmm. when I do express my sexuality. Does that make sense? But yeah. the whole thing, it's it's not a, you're not even allowed to have that conversation. So everything's taboo. Everything feels. Creepy. Dirty. Yeah. Naughty. It, I was, yeah. And it's not a healthy view of sexuality in general. Right. Yeah. I think it's that um, underdeveloped sense of self related to your sexuality because everything's taboo, like I said. Yes. So I that think that's, yeah. They don't, it's, you're going to have just natural urges and think your hormones in general, you know things happen, right? Like you can't help sometimes that you're, you're attracted to somebody, but you can help what you do with that. Right. And 
that's the piece of it that I find troubling is that people think that it's their religion that would hold them back from what being a decent human being in relation to those urges or those feelings. Like if you need, if you need something outside of yourself to control you to be doing the right thing. Well, I mean, I guess, but then I mean, it's that's, not internalized belief. Well, it's definitely it's not just, yeah. it's just, you're responding then simply to this other, whoever you've given your control over into your life. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and setting guidelines for you because you'd, probably don't trust yourself like that's that's the that's the piece right people don't trust they don't trust them and i think because they've been told not to but also i think some people shouldn't (laughs) right that's what i'm saying i think that might be that might be something where people will say i need to go to church to fix myself Mm -hmm. and since i'm a little bit naughty i need to get the the church to fix me and i need it's kind of like there was an old Saturday Night Live. Um, I think it was a Saturday Night Live sketch where you paid somebody to punch you every time you were trying to smoke or something. You know, like yeah. you're paying, like so you're kind of paying God to threaten you every time you're trying to do something bad because you don't want to be bad. Right. Yeah, but there's not this sense. I remember when when I had come up with that thesis statement for my one of my lectures, the Trembeth lecture. Think what you think you should think. Mm-hmm. Um, do what you know you should do. Feel what you feel, and always let your conscience be your guide. They'd say, "Well, no." Don't do what you think you should do. Like, oh, we do have a different angle on this, don't we? Like, there's there, there's like a sense in which some people say, if I could do anything I want, I'm going to do bad things. Yeah. And maybe that just is true for people. But regardless, a lot of those people happen to be administrators and faculty at Christian universities. And I'm not saying that that's true for all of them, because I know I was one, and I know many, many good people within the system. But I'm saying that if you kind of, if you expand it out, you'd say at least the people who think that way are going to be more likely than not to go to a Christian university yeah. than, than somewhere else where they're free, yeah. right? So then what does it mean, you know? In any case, this then leads us to the fifth point, which we've talked about many times on the show, which is really like the kind of whole point of why we got protect your noggin started, which was the idea that if you have this anti-intellectualism, it leads to future abuse and manipulation. This is the hypothesis. That is, um, if you tell kids that even though the earth looks like it's older than 7,000 years old or 10,000 years old, um, believe that it's 10,000 years old or younger. Mm -hmm. You're telling people not to trust their perceptions. Their perceptions. So they can be manipulated this i think leads to to increased abuse you're just not teaching people to trust their perceptions that's why i think christian universities should should and end up kind of being repurposed shut down internally just say sorry we're making a mistake like think of it this way i'm get to this more in a second but like just so you know it's like if you're making foie gras and you come to an ethical sense that maybe you shouldn't be force feeding fowl I'm not saying, I don't know how, you don't have to like storm it, (laughs) you know, and shut it down. And maybe, you know, maybe some people would, you know, say animal rights activists would say you should. I'm simply saying there's also a place for us as human beings to say, I'm not going to buy foie gras. Right. I'm not going to participate in that world. That's just like, that's not cool. Or I'll give you a better example. So there was a documentary that came out, Spanish language film, I forget the title, but basically it just, it talks about the life of this trainer, this uh, dolphin trainer. Okay. And we come to find that, you know, it's unethical, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the scene. Yeah. And, um, but a lot of the people that got into it 
loved animals. Yeah. Like if you want to work at a zoo or whatever, yeah. right? Like you want to be around animals. It's kind of what way. happened with Tiger King. People that want to go and be employees there, yeah. they love animals. That's why they're there. Yeah. Uh, and then they find themselves in this not comfortable situation. A lot of people get into teaching at a Christian university because they're good people and they want to do good things for kids, mm-hmm. right? And help, help them out. Um, and yet the danger is by being complicit in a structure, in a, in a, in a system that is telling people not to trust science, not to trust facts, not to trust their own perceptions. You can, you basically have complete it, control over zombies. them and their thinking. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's dangerous and that's dangerous. And that's why people, so yeah, it's not just Christians, it's Zen Buddhists, it's, uh, you know, gurus, you know, but anytime you have somebody who's kind of doing your thinking for you, then you're fair, like not fair game, but it's like you're, you're, you're basically, you're, you're basically a soldier for whatever they want you to, mm-hmm. you said zombie. It's the same thing. It's like, I mean, zombies in the, in the sense that like, there's like legends of like voodoo practitioners in, in, uh, Haiti, uh, giving a drug to people so that it kind of creates in them like a s- subservient mm-hmm. kind of brainlessness. Right. And then, if and you, then they become your minions. Right. Your minions, like you said. So maybe some of those people were on the debate debate team and then can put nice wording to some of this other agenda that, you know, I by don't the way, know, much love things. to all my former uh, students that were on the debate team. Great kids. They were some oh, of yeah. the most interesting uh, <laughs> and uh, helpful. And, and uh, I want to get to that in a second, because I'm going to, I'll go quickly through them, but I've, thought about why are there some good things before we conclude those are the kind of the five main reasons that i was saying we should get rid of christian universities and really quick too and we've said this before but i do want to also end on that one thing is we um bring up that once again if these if you're if your children maybe you think that that it's it's a good result when they come and they'll be maybe more willing to listen to you as well, right? Yeah, when but they it, come home some, more subservient. <laughs> yeah. But at some point, though, too, there will be a spouse or another leader or a boss or something else that they can be equally as um, molded by and, and continuing their agenda. And and you lose control of it yourself, too. Mm. So rather than um, telling people how to think and controlling them, we need to be teaching people how to think uh, for themselves so yes. that they can make decisions, hopefully, based on internalized values right. that are looking out for the good of all of humanity. And their own well-being. Hopefully. And their own well-being. And their own well-being. Yep. And so, anyway, that's, I mean, that would be, that's my biggest hope. Um, yep. And I find it really sad, but I don't think that that is... Um, the base point for all folks, right? Even when you were talking to AI, it all matter. What question are you asking? Yeah. What here? are you trying to accomplish? You know, are you trying to accomplish, you know, getting kids to be compliant, orthodox, then right? yeah, then I guess it can work. You know, are you trying? Yeah. Like <laughs> is your goal to, to have, you know, more capitalism and, and business and, and make money and you want your kids to learn how to do that, then fine. You know, like that will be, then these will be the systems that you put into place. When I say fine, I'm just saying mm-hmm. this is how that is done. I, I wish that the base of um, humanity did care about the well-being of people and themselves over just 
sheer well the state the institutional religion money itself money power glory anyway those are our gods all right so that's that's a good way to kind of wrap up what we were saying about why we think we should dismantle these things we've also kind of hinted at or said a few times that by dismantling we don't mean some kind of forcible approach where we're just coming in saying we're gonna shut this down make it illegal persecute you know no um as a libertarian socialist I don't believe that the ideal situation is where the state controls thought. Right. So I don't like the, the reality that we're in where some of the best research is done by the state because the state is going to control what kinds of things that it privileges. And so the values of a capitalist society are going to be enhanced. Universities are going to train people to be good cogs in the, in the cruel machine instead of helping them flourish. So do I like liberal arts colleges better than state universities? Generally, I do, because I've seen it. I mean, it depends on what you're trying to get, but our youngest went to a UC, goes to a UC, and when I came came to housing, for instance, Mm -hmm. great education, sure, but like when it came to housing, the the lack of resources there, the lack of the, like the special touch compared to what I saw in Christian liberal arts schools Mm -hmm. is, is, is noticeable. The quality of the, of the housing noticeably less interesting. When one big problem was we were worried that there weren't going to be rooms for all of the kids because they have more students than they have housing at this particular university town. And they prioritize the freshmen. And it's really expensive, <laughs> right? So these are things that you wouldn't see at a Christian liberal arts school because they're going to they're going to make sure they've kind of taken care of you. There's that high touch. So uh, so there's, there's some value there. And I also think there's something really valuable about that experience of having those conversations about nuance and ideas and philosophies and religions that do take place in the liberal arts colleges. So I'm not against liberal arts colleges and I'm not against the spiritual conversations at those liberal arts colleges. I think that's a good thing. It's of course what I've been doing for a long time. Right. But the, but the problem is, all right, so the state university is going to have the, the state's Agenda. General general agenda. They'll have some radical stuff on a leash. There's, you know, your Marxists and stuff in the in the humanities. But they're kind of marginalized in terms of, you know, that. And then most of the, you know, a lot of the funding goes into stuff that's going to be uh, STEM-related these days. Fine. Uh, science, technology, engineering, and math, STEM. But anyway, um, the the other option, though, is the funding of corporations who want universities to do their dirty work. I don't like that. So a while back, we've already done the retractions. I said, I do believe that a quote Christian university is the only place where you could have perfect uh, academic freedom. But I was being provocative and playful there too, because what I was saying is the same thing as I'm saying now with different language. In one sense, it's kind of a paradox. I'll put them out as paradox. The only place you could have real academic freedom is a Christian university, by which I mean a university that we want to be like a little Jesus, little Christ's, and renounce money, power, and glory, the three things that he renounces in the Gospels when he's confronted by the devil. Yep. Um, and the three things that I think are the most important about Jesus. Jesus teaches that we should not be subservient to these. It's a kind of spiritual anarchy that I think Jesus teaches. So I applaud it. I'm... I. 
I'm a student of it. Don't just applaud it. So, uh, so that's cool. Does that mean that Christian universities are safe? No. I think they're less safe than state schools or even schools that rely heavily on public funding to the individual, to the individual student. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that the sadness that I saw anecdotally outweighs any of the potential benefits to Christian universities. And I think on the whole, it causes problems for society, as I've said. But let's just think briefly about some other things. One, you wouldn't get people being so uncritical about facts related to the elections had you not already primed them to not take facts seriously through general evangelical culture. Universities, churches in general, the problem of the orange-headed baby stealer, the, cr the very clearly, um, uh, how do we say this? The evidence looks very clear that uh, Donald Trump did very illegal things. Okay? Yes. And evangelicals were complicit and supportive and part of that whole scene. Okay? Like, that is very clear that evangelicals supported a very non-evangelical dude who did very bad things. Right. And was a, that it is very dangerous for society and for the well-being of human beings. Donald Trump. Problem. Mm -hmm. Evangelicals allowed this to happen. They encouraged this and they allowed it to happen and they fostered it by all of those things we've been talking about. The rape culture, the, uh, the, the political agenda, and the anti-intellectualism. Then all of a sudden now we got a problem because that same group of people is able to be manipulated by foreign agents and, and bad actors within the United States for whatever ends they want. To not believe in uh, medicine. Yeah. Right? We've talked about, you know, the, the different issues related to vaccinations. But that's, that, you know, it's an interesting thing. Regardless of whether you think the state should impose some kind of mandatory protocol, the fact that people were, were taking snake oil type remedies and yeah. refusing interventions that could have been helpful for them. And, and there are people that we know that did not believe in the science and are not with us anymore. Yeah. Okay. So like, that's a thing. Your, your, your physical health could be in danger because of this right. way of thinking, the anti-intellectualism. There is a, a fundamental disinterest in the environment. We've been told by, I had, I had a board member at one um, specific place I was at say that it is, uh, that it is of the devil this gentleman in a letter reminded me that, uh, that I should pay attention to where my bread was buttered uh -huh. and that, the, that climate change is a lie of the devil. Okay? <laughs> so I have an adult human being who drives a nice car and has a nice mortgage payment and, and is able to pay it and doesn't believe that climate change is real because he has taken this into this mythic universe and the devil is now, you know, the devil's now promoting this. Although I should probably, you know, or, I should admit that I think that the, that the devil known as uh, Molech is probably behind, <laughs> you know, I'm talking yeah. about this, the about other, the, the reverse. And side the other it. aspect too is, you know, they, a lot of times the belief that sort of what matters is the afterlife allows you to do whatever you want in this life to this environment, right. because this isn't the end goal. You disregard this social is, justice. You know, but the, but, and 
social justice as well as, I mean, there's so many things you disregard, but I am talking specifically at this point, environmentalism, right? Yeah, yeah. That you can justify the whatever gonna, you need yeah. to take advantage of all of the resources during your lifetime, if need be, because it doesn't really matter if it doesn't survive because it's the other piece of it that matters for all of eternity. Yeah. And I think that it's a heavy thing. Now, then you can throw in social justice to that as well, saying, oh, well, everybody will, you know, have, you know, their, where they where they belong in the afterlife, right? Mm-hmm. Heaven, heaven or hell or whatever. The, you know, if, if, that's, if there's something that's going to go to heaven, then all will be well, all will be right, and nobody will suffer. Right. So it's okay. It's expected that we suffer in this lifetime. And it's going to get worse and worse until Jesus returns for most eschatologies. Right. And, and so then that also, then you can turn a blind eye to certain things saying, um, that it doesn't really matter what happens with our experiences here on earth. Right. That allows for a whole bunch of horrific behavior. And then if you, immoral acts of all kinds, you know, unethical business decisions, like all sorts of things. Yeah. It literally, it feels like, like the Antichrist. <laughs> it is. I think that's great. Whatever Antichrist is, this is that. And and then if you go to the economic side of things, I have seen firsthand in many cases, people doing everything they could, bringing a lot of funding to the table to try to convince me, whether it was at Colorado Christian University or up until recently, um, people desperately trying to convince me that Jesus wants me to support the capitalist system in which we're living right? <laughs> and the, the political structure as it is and, and all that stuff that goes with it. So, um, if that's what you're after, if I that, mean, that is their God, I mean, if you really yeah. think about it, I mean, what, what does it mean to have a God, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's, that's who they're serving. You got to serve somebody says Bob Dylan. Yeah. Now real fast. I also mentioned, I did a follow up, uh, TikTok talking about the good things about evangelical uh, Christian universities, why people had good experiences. Because a lot of people had good experiences. Our oldest had a great experience, even though he didn't buy into the, the dogma and the ideology. He had a good experience being able to explore the liberal arts and have really wonderful conversations. The conversations, yes. Here are my four good things that I do not deny. One there are courses on critical thinking, philosophy, and apologetics. Well, forget the apologetics for a second. Critical thinking is taught at a lot of these universities because they're self-aware enough to say, it looks kind of silly, and you've got a lot of people that have PhDs that want it to be as respectful uh, and respectable as possible. So you have these critical thinking classes. Often, however, I put in the apologetics, they're often used as a way to be kind of intellectual combatants and so they give people the sense that they've got good critical thinking because they memorize the names of informal fallacies, and yet they don't realize how there are these other larger uh, hegemonic biases that they've internalized, these ways that they've been manipulated yeah. apart from each individual argument, you know, and they get really good at making really clever uh, formulations of arguments for things that are just patently false. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. that's it. But the good part of it and the good thing is a lot of people that grew up in fundamentalist homes go to a philosophy class, go and learn about critical thinking, or even go and learn about apologetics, the defense of Christianity. And in doing the extra research, they deconstruct their faith because they've actually asked the questions. This was true at Colorado Christian University that the kids who went to the theology program were more likely to disaffiliate from Christianity than the kids who went into the business program. Mm Because in the business program, you didn't have to read the Bible. You didn't have to confront, yeah. Didn't have to confront the problem of evil or whatever, you know. So again, the first reason that I think a lot of people have positive experiences at Christian universities is the good coursework. I mean, there's some good material. Some universities are doing a lot with primary sources, always really positive. Teaching young people to think on their feet, love it. Um, so good stuff, but again, none of these are going to lead me to think that the, um, the negatives are overcome by these positives. These are the reasons why it's attractive. And by the way, these things that are attractive, we should keep in other contexts. When we talk about dismantling the universities, that could also mean dismantling them as part of the system, but repurposing these resources, these assets Mm -hmm. for the well-being of society. It's happened many, many times before. A lot of the best universities in the world started out as outgrowths of the church and they became world changing universities. Mm -hmm. I think Oxford's kind of like that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A lot of the Ivies, you know, anyway, number two, nuanced Bible and theology faculty. Uh, Number two, nuanced Bible and theology faculty. This I've kind of hinted at, but It's very likely, we've met people, that their religion, Bible, theology professor is the person that helped set them free. Mm. That had it not been for that person, they might not have been given the tools to kind of um, deconstruct their faith. And I think this was was true for me with colleagues um, at colleges and universities that just asked important questions about the text or they showed me research that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Mm-hmm. And by simply showing that information, I think you can do a lot of good. And I think, you know, for me, I used to enjoy, for instance, showing the the film Saved at Colorado Christian University. You know, um, I enjoyed when the equality ride came through which was uh, evangelical uh, LGBT kids that were protesting all the Christian universities. Mm -hmm. And they were getting either arrested or shut out by other schools. And we invited them to come in and talk. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of young people that got to meet open and affirming evangelical queer kids that had, you know, interesting stories. This was helpful. Those kids at Colorado Christian University might not ever had that opportunity in that way to have that, e- to have that kind of experience. Even if, if they had gone to a state school, they wouldn't have had that experience. Right. They would have just bypassed it. They would have said, well, that's just the godless conversations that go on here. Does that make sense? I hear you. Yeah. So I think that, that was a thing. And, um, and for me, it's, it's very much the case that the more training you get, the more interesting the Bible becomes, but, it totally unravels as a, a simplistic manual for living. Right. You know, so the, the more you study, the more you can kind of deconstruct it. The third good thing 
is subversive student clubs. There's something kind of fun about working with other people that are kind of trying to subvert the system from within. There's something fun about that. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a student and you have never had that solidarity and and camaraderie Hmm. with other kids that are closeted or not within the Christian community, there's something very... um, there's something very interesting that can happen where you get more empowered because you have other people that are going through that with you, right? So you might have other kids at a secular institution that are out and affirming about who they are, but then they may not have had to go through the specific, you know, gauntlet of questions and uh, harangues that Christian families would giving to people in this context. In other words, there's nobody that I look uh, to as a better mentor for a kid who's kind of getting out of the system than somebody who's already gotten out of the system. And often that's a junior or a senior at a Christian university. I see. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they, they can be very helpful. So I'm not saying this is not a reason to go to a Christian university, but I have seen that people have been greatly helped by this. And what's interesting is there's a lot of fundamentalist um, fear. There's a lot of hand wringing from fundamentalists saying that the Christian universities are a problem. And this is where we're kind of in agreement. The, the fundamentalists in say the Lutheran world are trying to shut down the Concordias because they're too integrated. Mm. And what I mean is not racial here. It's the integration of faith and learning. It's the bringing in of, of learning. And I think that's, what's kind of ironic about all this, because remember that, that, that first, the, the thing that kind of got a lot of this started was that Christian news article from January 5th of 21, where again, they said Mallinson, a professor at an LCMS school, um, thinks, uh, quote, um, well, he's, they say, quote, he professes to want to protect students, respect science and not invalidate the institution's faith commitment. All three cannot be done at the same time though. So this guy is, associated with or tangentially associated with people that wanted to get rid of these Christian universities and create something that doesn't take public funding is insulated from all that. So in other words, there are fundamentalists who also want to dismantle Christian universities as a project the way I've described them, Mm -hmm. right? Because they realize that in, in a way, one of the most dangerous things for a fundamentalist kid is to go and explore their faith with thoughtful evangelical professors because maybe they're not going to get them all the way down mm-hmm. the line to where they might end up at some point. But it may very well be like the story of Bart Ehrman who starts out at Moody and then he realizes they kind of lied to him about some of these things. And so then he, he, he goes to, to Wheaton and they're all like, don't go to Wheaton. It's too liberal. And then he goes from Wheaton to Fuller. They say, don't go to Fuller. It's too liberal, but it's still evangelical. Mm-hmm. And then Fuller, from Fuller, he goes to Princeton. I'm, I think I'm getting his pedigree right. And each step along the way. Don't go there. They say, don't go there. But who's helping him go to the next level? Probably faculty, interesting faculty at each of those places that are a little bit more open-minded than the institution that they're in. Right. So you so, got the faculty, you got the student clubs. Maybe. And... Uh, and I would say the, the, the last thing, and I'd love you to jump in on, on, on more of this, but just, just to say that there, there actually are a lot of dedicated faculty and staff, like mm-hmm. really wonderful human beings that are caring. 
So if you have all those things, it's going to feel like it was a good experience a lot of the time. Uh, so I do want to take a little issue with the the sort of shared group experience. I think that, um, I mean, I know, yes, it is true that maybe then, yeah, you can find a friend group or something by going through a similar, um, you know, difficult situation, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but it kind of reminds me of sort of that um, the, the psychological phenomenon that if you're you go through um, like a, a, a traumatic situation with somebody, you bond tighter. Right. Yes. But I think it's best to avoid the yes. <laughs> traumatic situation altogether if it was at all. People have possible. mystical experiences in war. Right. As they are collaborating like part of one mega entity and it's a powerful experience. It's not to be done on purpose. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's one, one piece of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's still traumatic. So yeah, that, that, that has less lasting effects, even if, um, even if you can, you know, find some good in some of those situations. Uh, I would add, I've suggested this earlier, uh, I think in the part one, is the piece that access to, um, I mean, it kind of goes along with the groups, the clubs and in, in a, on a different angle is if you do want to be involved in leadership, if you do want to be, um, you know, build your resume, mm -hmm. there's, uh, usually it's a, a bigger opportunity to be a part yes. of certain things. You could that be a big can, fish in a small pond. You can learn a lot of skills, uh, through having those experiences and opportunities available to you with, as you mentioned, because there's usually a lot of carrying faculty that they will mentor you along the way mm -hmm. and you have that relationship as mm -hmm. well. Uh, you know, a lot of times the bigger universities, you know, you're you're lucky if you get a class with <laughs> the, a professor yeah. um, you're not, of the you're university not and you're oh. not usually building, uh, you know, relationships with those people. It's like they yeah. come in almost like a celebrity. That's how it was at Penn anyway. Yeah. You know, it like, depends on the school, but yeah, definitely. Oh, and it depends yeah. on the person too. Yeah. Right. But anyway, my point is, is that, uh, and I would say anybody can still, you know, find what opportunities are available to them at any school that they're in. And if you really stick yourself out there, I'm sure you can get involved in a lot of different things. Uh, so I would say that that's another argument just in general <laughs> for a college experience yep. for your own growth is for you to encourage if you have a, a college student or whatever mm. to get involved in some ways, you know, they, that's where you find your friend groups. That's where you find you know, things that you but, care about. You can find like-minded people to come alongside and get behind something that you all enjoy. I would say, oh, go ahead. You can add. And then, no, I was just going to say, I doubt that there would have been the same level of engagement and personal, um, joyful growth with, uh, young people. Uh, in teaching overseas in the same way um, and doing like we're putting wells in in Guatemala with, with Christian mm -hmm. and Abigail. Mm -hmm. Oh, we have um, okay. the access ben to in opportunities Australia. and the level yeah. of those, the closeness of those relationships I find yeah. usually um, much more, uh, they're deeper, you know? Um, I noticed that my, like in my new context, there's a delightful um, professionalism that I didn't experience in any of my evangelical world. Like in other words, people kind of leave my personal life alone. Yeah. It's not even like they just leave me, like they just, like it's not a thing that we talk about as much. Whereas it's like very almost, in, not invasive, but very like they know a lot about you 
at the Christian universities. I think it's personal they, information. It's like we're family. We're part th- of. That's yeah. the thing, and I think that they do operate almost like a as church. yeah, like it's a family, and so it, you know, it has that feeling where it's. It's, it comes across as, even though it is very much a business, and this is why yeah. it's, this is why it's hard. It's, mm. it, the, the the actions of they've got to make money. All this stuff is very very much a business. But then they throw on this level of yes, we're all family. We're all God's family. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm. All these things, so that then you can cross boundaries that your family sometimes will cross with you, which is also mm. another one of those gateways into, I think, um, you know, the unfortunate where people can abuse those situations um, because boundaries get blurred. They think that they can, you know, yeah, flutter into your personal life, tell you how to live as well as, you know, teach you how to be a human being or whatever, all these other things, right? It's it's like, it's all of it. It's in In your your business, business, whether you want it or not, you know. And so, yeah. And so then, you know, there's all sorts of things that are connected to that. I would say my personal advice, uh, given, you know, that we've had a number of experiences and we have tried to change the system from within, uh, is that it, and even the advice that we have been given oftentimes, and I think there's something very true. I feel it's very much doubting like to say what is far better than ever trying to just be subversive within a system is if at all possible, you live your life the way that you want to see um, and who comes along with you on that journey, where can you find, you know, that mutual Mm -hmm. aid type of thing rather than trying to instead like get all these other people to change their minds. It, you can't really make people change their minds necessarily. The best way you can possibly have that, Mm -hmm. um, influence is by changing yourself and then, then what does, what testimony, if yeah. you will, what example does that offer to other people? And is that something they want in their life or not? You know, uh, I yeah. don't know, but it's, you know, you're, you know, it's, <laughs> I think of this, like even with the, your book on, um, you know, sexy with, with dating and relationships, it's mm-hmm. far stronger if you're, which by the way, I'm not recommending to now we've, we've made so many changes in life only for the, uh, it's more, it could be more of a historical <laughs> piece. Of, it's far better for you to go and do activities that you enjoy and then see if a potential future relationship or partner, friendship, whatever, um, is that you have things in common with people um, that are wanting to do similar things rather than, <laughs> you know, finding finding this person that you're attracted to and then trying to make them change, <laughs> you yes. know, or even hiding who you are yeah. so that they, that the real you isn't exposed and then maybe that they don't like you because like that doesn't work in a relationship ultimately or, or it is just a recipe for lots of suffering for your whole life if you yeah. want to stay in a committed right. So relationship of some kind. So all those things being true, why are we talking about this for two episodes? Because we really hope that you may be somebody that was in our spot and you're trying to figure out what to do. And we're just laying it out because it would have been helpful for me to hear somebody else say this to me, that maybe a few of us should get together and say, how can we support each other in, you know, unplugging from a system that we don't think ultimately is going to serve the the best good of the most people. And I can guarantee you it's not easy. I am scared a lot of the time 
just kind of habitually scared of money and I just like there's something really nice about having the the resources money but it's like it's money and opportunities and networks like kind of cutting all that off is is hard yeah you know and I understand it would be for you so friends if you want to uh if you want to ghost church and uh even if you want to stay in church but you recognize what we're saying has some merit related to christian universities and you don't want to be complicit in the system anymore reach out to us we'll keep confidence we don't need to talk to you we, we've got confidential friends um that we understand need to take their time this is a personal decision for a lot of people so we're saying let us voluntarily stop doing things that aren't working yeah. Because we don't have an ax to grind. We're not trying, we don't have, it's like not bitterness about the past other than just the pain of the stings of, of just the abusiveness of evangelicalism itself. We've been to some of the best universities in terms of ethos and uh, intellectual growth. And, you know, there's really great professors and friends that I've had at each of these institutions. Yeah. The problem is the system. Yeah. And I'd like to have more opportunities for those same faculty members to be in a real university setting. Right now as it is, I I will I will attest. It is it is it's not just for me because I mean, you know, I'm not as I'm not as good at uh, <clears throat> managing my CV and keeping it clean for like the con- traditional a- academic world and other people might be. But if you are coming out of a Christian university, there's not a lot of people that trust you. Yeah. in the regular academic world. So to do what we're saying is putting yourself at financial and professional risk. So you got to figure out how to do that. But if we don't start talking about it, then we'll have a whole bunch of people that are suffering, not just because there are people that are students that are suffering under the system, but there are people that are faculty, staff, and administrators that are trapped in it. Kind of like, you know, like Megan and, Megan and, uh, and Harry, <laughs> you know, like people don't want to let you get out of it and you're not really sure how you would because you don't have the resources and the networks to figure out how to survive in, in, in any way. It also can be very tempting to just start your career in that arena and maybe, maybe if nothing else, um, you know, some of the stuff we're talking about will keep other people from getting started that in the first yeah, place I guess so that, that they don't else. get trapped if, you know, I got my, if, yeah. You know, at a certain point, if you've got a certain level of student loan debt, you need, you know, you need oh, to find yeah. work, you need to pay, pay your bills. This is it, the truth for pastors. Yeah. It's really easy to just, you know, I mean, it, you know where there's sometimes easy jobs or, you know, easy connections, the networks, you know, those are mm-hmm. the things. So it's like it, those opportunities sometimes fall in your lap Yep. Um, and it's hard to say no to. And when you get out friends, most of the time, unless you have other kind of networks, you're going to have to just hustle. Like you're going to, it's, it's going to, you know, it's good for you. <laughs> it's good for me, but like, you know, working at the sushi place and being tired a lot. It, it, it feels really good to be free, but it's also exhausting. Well, as well as, as to not have that mutual network. Um, the, the feeling, bef- especially before you're going to complete, like as you, as you start to see the whole system unraveling. Um, it's very, very scary because then you're wondering like, where does this stop? Yes. You You start deconstructing and it just keeps going. And, and then, you know, you, you have, you question so many different things. And anyway, so there's, 
it is a very, 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 very scary mm. process. Um, but reach out to us. We love you. Yeah. We'll, at least, I mean, we'll the, give you some you know, tips at least. Or one we'll, of the things, and I, th- I know I've said this. Just before, emotional support. I've said this before, is a lot of times, like, what the, you know, what you know is, like, the, the, like the truest thing, or if you want to, you know, face reality, like there's something, you know, when you, when you know truth that you just, it's there, but Mm. it can, so it's very simple and clear yet very, very, very difficult to act on, um, or to even, you know, start to, uh, move in that direction often. And so Mm. it's like, often you can, you know, once you get to a certain point, you can be like, okay, I know this is exactly what I, need to do or what is the right thing to do but taking that step jumping into the <laughs> jumping cold water into that water is it's really hard is really 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 hard a lot of times and so it's easy to rationalize why it's not you know why mm. it's not the best thing why I can't do this right now or whatever because um but yeah because it's it is so hard but I will say that eventually at some point if if you are continuing to suffer eventually at some point then it's like okay well nothing is going to change or be any different you're not going to find any of that peace until you start actually uh you know doing what you know you need to do so i don't know i mean um wherever you're at in life jeff and stacy's hearts go out to to you yeah Um, we feel it we feel it we know what you're going through we send our love and um, and we really, really, really do hope that everybody finds deep peace upon peace. Uh, thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.